Think of that old hymn, Lord. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me who him to death pursued? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Jesus, your death is the foundation of everything we're doing here at Mercy Hill. If you wouldn't have come to die for us, we would be lost. There'd be nothing we could do to to get back into your favor, into the Father's favor. But you came and you died. So no matter what sin is in our hearts now, or what sin has been in the past, or what sin is in the future, Lord, we can turn to you and confess and be forgiven and be changed. Thank you. And I pray about that, Lord, because James hammers us, his readers, about some areas of sin in this passage today. And he does that so it'll drive us to the cross so we can be forgiven and cleansed. And so I pray, Lord, we just all want to open our hearts up to you. Would you show us what's happening in our hearts? Shine your light into our hearts. Reveal the truth to us so that we can come all the more humbly, earnestly to the cross and receive all the forgiveness, all the cleansing, all the renewing that you promised to give us through Jesus. Make that all really clear this morning as I preach. Now, I need your help, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's turn to James chapter 4. Like you'd all have a Bible, so if you don't have one, go ahead and raise your hand and we'll bring one to you. James 4 is on page 1012 in the Bibles we're passing out. 1012, James 4. Okay, I recently um, reapplied for a life insurance policy. And so this last week, a medical examiner came out. Need, need a Bible over here? Way to the right, Steve, thanks. Um, and over here, too. All right, thanks, guys. So uh, a medical examiner came out to my house this last week. And you know how they do that if you've had this happen. They ask you a bunch of questions, and they take samples of your blood. And then she hooked me up to a portable electrocardiogram. And then a three-foot-long strip of paper bzzz, came out of this thing, showing a pattern which... And the reason they do that is so that then the life insurance company can look at this thing and see, and, and the pattern of that will show the health of my heart, right? Some patterns would be like, awesome, insure this guy. Other patterns just like, no way, not a chance, right? So, so the pattern on this strip will show them the health of my heart. Now, the reason I mention that is that in James 4, he like gives us a spiritual electrocardiogram. And what he says is that if you're involved right now, in a fight or in a quarrel with someone, that's a pattern on the spiritual electrocardiogram that shows that your heart is in serious trouble, diseased and dying. Your heart's in serious trouble. And in these verses, James doesn't just tell us our hearts are in serious trouble. He points us to how God, because of Jesus, can set us free from that trouble so we can be completely restored and renewed. So... That's what's going on. Look at verse 1, James chapter 4. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? So he wants us to think about quarrels and fights. And, and I just want to ask the question, how could you tell if you were involved in a quarrel or a fight? Because you, you know, a quarrel can be an outward thing like where you're punching somebody out and they're punching you back, right? It can be obvious and visible. Or it could be very subtle. Some of you might be involved in a quarrel and the other person doesn't even know it. 
Right? So here's some more subtle indicators, like if you speak to someone in an unloving way, right? Or if you don't speak to them at all. Silent treatment, that also would show a quarrel or a fight. Or if you slander somebody to someone else, that could be an indicator. If in your heart, as you think about this person, there's anger, you're nursing a grudge towards them. That would be an indicator of what what James is after here. Or if as you think about this person, you don't want their good, you want to get back at them. You want to cause them some harm in some way. That would be an indicator. If you intentionally see somebody Sunday morning and you walk the other way, that would be an indicator that there's a quarrel or a fight going on. Those kinds of things. So do you see, I, I hope some of you, even though there's no like public altercation going on, that in your heart you're quarreling. In your heart you're fighting. And so some of you probably right now are involved in a quarrel or a fight. And so I just ask, like, what are some of the things that could spark uh, a quarrel or a fight, just to kind of get some things out on the table? And I thought, like, maybe you wanted to go to the beach, or you want to go to the beach yesterday, head over to Santa Cruz, and your wife is taking like a really long time getting ready, and you're in the car, the car idling, and you know that kind of whole scenario. And a guy's, <laughs> guys, you might maybe you think about turning off the engine, going in and helping her. Okay, as she's getting everything ready? All right, so that's one possibility. Or uh, maybe on a more serious note, like if your, um, if your husband doesn't take time to really sit down and talk with you and hear you and listen to you and there's no connection there, that, that, could, that could stir up quarreling or fighting. Uh, or say your son or daughter like left the kitchen a mess. Okay, you know, parents can have fights or quarrels with, you can call it discipline maybe. Um, discipline's important, but uh, that could cause some fighting or quarreling towards a child. Uh, maybe somebody at work talked about you behind your back, or somebody in your home group said something hurtful to you, or those are the kinds of things, okay, that can spark. Okay, so some of you right now, right now, are involved in a fight or a quarrel. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but you know, okay. And all the rest of us, you have been recently and you will be in the future. All right, so what James is going to say here applies to all of us. So, where he starts is asking, what's the cause of quarrels? What causes fights? Now, before we look at what James says, oh, don't, don't peek. Before we look at what James says, what do you think the cause is? Think about that quarrel or that fight that you're involved with in right now. What was the cause? Or maybe one that you were in recently. Well, the cause is them, right? <laughs> Darn right, okay, the cause is them. It's, it's what they did or didn't do. My husband doesn't spend enough time connecting with me. Doesn't spend enough time with the kids, maybe. Or my wife is taking too long getting everything ready to go to the, to the beach. That's why I'm quarreling. That's why I'm in a conflict. The cause is them. Isn't that where we all tend to go? I mean, it's obvious what the cause is, right? James says, no. The cause is not them, What does he say? Look at verse 1. Amazing statement. This whole passage is just amazing. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions, your desires, are at war within you? So the cause of this quarrel is not your husband or your wife or your kids or your boss or the person in your home group. The cause is not them. It's nothing outside of you. The cause is inside of you. It's your passions, your 
desires that are waging war inside of you. Now, what kind of passions wage war? Unfulfilled passions, unfulfilled desires that you're really like frustrated about. So I just put it, here's my answer, put it in your notes. James says the cause is frustration over unfulfilled desires. Look at how he puts it in verse 2. He kind of explains. You desire, he says, and do not have. Now there's frustration over unfulfilled desires. So you murder. Okay, that's extreme, but that's how it happens, right? You covet, desire, want something, and cannot obtain. There's the frustration over unfulfilled desires. So you fight and quarrel. So every time, Every single time you're involved in a, in a quarrel or a fight with someone, the cause is that you are frustrated about some unfulfilled desire. Now, James is not saying here that the other person's blameless. Okay, James would certainly encourage you to humbly and lovingly go to another person and help get things worked out with them, Right? But if you're going to someone and humbly and lovingly working things out with them, are you fighting and quarreling? No. So what James is thinking about is those times where you don't go to that person humbly and lovingly to work it out with them. He's talking about those times where you're either inside or verbally or in other more obvious ways harming them, speaking harshly to them, hurting them in some way. If you're not going to them humbly and lovingly, if you're involved in a fight or a quarrel, the cause is always your frustration over your unfulfilled desires. Now, let me give you an illustration just to see if you can agree with this. I'm not sure you buy this yet. Let me, let's say you're driving home from work and you're ready to pull in the driveway and the kids' bikes are in the driveway. You've told them not to leave their bikes in the driveway. You've got to park on the street. And so you just go in and you blow up at them. I've told you to keep the bikes out of the driveway. James would say, why are you having this fight and this quarrel with your kids? And you'd say, it's obvious, the bike's in the driveway. That's, that's why this happens. James would say, well, okay, hold on, I understand. Look inside your heart. Is there some frustration inside your heart over some unfulfilled desire? And you look inside your heart, and, and, and maybe, here's a scenario that, that maybe, see if this is plausible. You look inside your heart, and oh, I had a big assignment I needed to get done this afternoon. I really wanted to get it done on time. I wanted it to look good. At 5.30, my computer crashed and I lost it all. And so I'm driving home, and I really wanted to get this project done and turn in on time, and my frustration about not getting done is growing and growing and growing and growing. So see, you are a fight or a quarrel just waiting to happen, right? Bikes in the driveway, dinner being late, Child throwing up. It could have been anything. Anything, right? You were just like, pull the top off. Okay? So see, the problem is not the bikes in the driveway. The problem is not the kids. The problem is that you are frustrated over some unfulfilled desire. Do you see that? That was the cause. Think about it like this. What if, instead of your computer crashing, you got the assignment turned in, and while you're driving home, you get a voicemail from your manager? superb job. This is amazing work. I'm forwarding this to the CEO. Your future's looking good here. Okay? 
5,000 bikes in the driveway, no food in the house, everybody's throwing up, who cares? Right? What's changed? What's changed? Your heart. So do you see this? So, but see, this is huge. Because you'll, you'll probably tend to forget about this by tomorrow. So get, let's get this into our mind. The cause of quarrels and conflicts is not out there. The cause is in here. It's that you're frustrated over some unfulfilled desire. Do you buy that? Don't agree too quick because James, okay, he's got us now. No, you should agree quickly and, and let him get us. So the next question then is, why am I frustrated over unfulfilled desires? Why? And James' answer is amazing. Isn't it obvious? I didn't get the project turned in on time. That's why. That's not why. James says, end of verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. So the reason I'm frustrated over unfulfilled desires is because I haven't brought my desires to God in prayer. I haven't asked him about those desires in prayer. Okay, so you want to leave for the beach, the engine's idling, you're sweating in the car, your wife isn't ready yet, but you haven't brought this desire before God in prayer. Or your husband isn't spending time connecting with you. By the way, husbands, Spend time connecting with your wife, okay? This is really important. Jesus calls you to this. Okay, but let's say your husband is not, and he's not being responsive to this, but you haven't brought that desire before the Lord and just laid it at his feet. You do not have because you do not ask. But now James knows there are people who do ask, but they are left frustrated over their unfulfilled desires. And so he goes on, look at what he says in verse 3. The problem is, is not just not asking, it may be that I'm asking in the wrong way. Verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So maybe you are praying, but you're asking in the wrong way. Now, and the wrong way is to, to ask to spend it on your passions. That's a, it's a kind of a strange statement because it's clear that he wants us to, to bring our passions before the Lord, to ask him about them, but we shouldn't ask to spend it on our passions. So here's what I think James is saying. When we have unfulfilled desires, which we do often, we should pray, but the focus of our prayer the main focus of our prayer should not be the fulfillment of those desires. It shouldn't be those unfulfilled desires. So what should be the main focus of our prayers? And in this passage, James says it should be something else. He says there's something else God will give us that is far more satisfying than those unfulfilled desires we're, we're praying about. What's the main thing God wants to give to us? Look at verse 6. James says, but he, God, gives more grace. This is the main thing God wants to give us, more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so what is this grace he wants to give us? I think the answer is in verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So, the main thing God wants to give you is the grace of his Nearness, because the grace of his nearness is more satisfying than anything else that he could 
give you. So here's how this works. When you, because of Jesus' death on the cross, you're trusting him, you're forgiven, you're clothed in his righteousness, and when you humble yourself and come before God, draw near to him, he will draw near to you. Now that that language might be a little puzzling to you, because you might be thinking, well, isn't God always near to us? I mean, isn't he like right there right now? Well, there's a sense in which he is. God's everywhere. God's omnipresent, right? So there's a very real sense, biblically, in which God is always near to you. But there's another sense in which he may be always near to you, but you don't always experience or feel or sense his nearness, right? Aren't there times where you feel his nearness, you sense his love, you feel his comfort, you experience his very presence? That's what James is talking about here. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And when you draw near to God and he draws near to you in that way and you sense his love and you sense his presence and his comfort and his strength and his faithfulness, your heart will be completely filled and satisfied even if your husband isn't connecting with you or even if the computer did crash and the project didn't get turned in on time. God's nearness will completely, fully, lastingly satisfy. Draw near to him, he will draw near to you. Okay, so here's what James is saying. If I'm quarreling with my wife on the way to Santa Cruz because I feel like she took too long getting ready because I ain't going to help her. Okay, anyway, leave that aside, all right. But if that's what you're thinking, guys, all right, so you're quarreling, it's because you're frustrated over unfulfilled desires. The unfulfilled desire, like to, to leave earlier, you want to get there faster. And if you're frustrated over unfulfilled desires, it's for one of two reasons. Either you haven't prayed about it at all, or if you did pray about it, it was just, God, have her hurry up! She's always taking so long! We're going to, we're going to be closed by the time we get there, whatever it might be. Because that's going to leave you frustrated as well. So what the, the lack is, is God-centered prayer. God, help me now. I'm frustrated, I'm impatient. Satisfy me now. Maybe, I should, should I go in and help her, Lord? Yes, okay, I will, all right. All right. So the problem is, when there's quarrels, it's frustration over unfulfilled desires all the time. And when there's frustration over unfulfilled desires, it's because of a lack of God-centered prayer. Do you see that? Because if you had brought your needs to God in prayer, he would have satisfied you. He would have filled you. He would have strengthened you. He would have met you. The, the desire might still be unfulfilled, but the frustration would have been gone. And that unfulfilled desire would be covered, compensated for, because of the massive fullness of having God's presence poured into your heart. Okay. Lack of God-centered prayer. Now James wants to take it one further step. There's one more point he wants to make, and that is, what does lack of God-centered prayer show about our hearts? That is, what causes lack of, un- of, lack of God-centered prayer? Look at what he says in verse 4. You adulterous people. Now James probably wrote this with tears. He loves the people he's writing to. And you know, Jesus, nobody loved more than Jesus. Jesus spoke some very strong words to people. James is speaking some very strong words to us here and to his readers, which is us, because he wants us to get this. He wants us to see how utterly serious this is when we're involved in fights or quarrels. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world 
is enmity, that is opposition, hostility with God. So, wives, let me, let me talk to you here. Let, let's say that your husband hasn't been connecting with you. He's just, whatever, he's just kind of shining you, cold shoulder. There's no heart-to-heart connection. And your response to that is not to pray at all, or just to pray, not in a God-centered way, but just change my husband, God, change him, change him. But you, you never come to God and just say, God, fill me, help me. Satisfy me. Help me to trust you. My husband's not connecting with me. I I long for that. And you want me to long for that. But would you satisfy me now with your presence? If, if If you never do that, if you never pray in that way, then James would say, you're a spiritual adulterer. Men, if we do the same thing, you know, with, um, like you're on the way home after having not getting that assignment turned in time and you don't pray about it at all. Or if you pray, it's just, God, why did my computer crash? You know, why? I just feel like this just isn't right. Okay? Lack of God-centered prayer. The problem is, we're spiritual adulterers. Strong language. Now, James is talking here from Old Testament concepts, where frequently in the Old Testament, Israel is described as the, the wife of Yahweh, of God. Betrothed, engaged, God's husband, Israel, God's people, the wife. And, and it's that picture because God has created you, as we say almost every week, okay? God has created you with a heart that will be, can be, completely, fully, 100% satisfied in Him. God is so God, okay? He's just so God, like we were singing about with all these songs this morning, that when you behold him and see him and feel him, you are completely filled and satisfied. That's who God is. And only God can completely fill and satisfy you. He's the perfect husband for you, okay? God's people, believers. So if I'm seeking my heart's satisfaction someplace else than God, I'm a spiritual adulterer. I can just turn my back on my wife and gone to some other woman. It's exactly what James wants us to feel, the seriousness of that. So see, here's the root issue. Here's the core issue. We talked about what the pattern on the electrocardiogram shows about your heart. If you're involved in a fight or a quarrel right now, James saying, what this shows is that you're a spiritual adulterer. You're seeking your heart's satisfaction in something other than God. James wants you to see that, and that this is deadly serious. To help us see how serious it is, look at what he says in verse 4. Whoever, end of verse 4. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, friend of the world does not mean you shouldn't have any friends who don't know Jesus. Okay? Have lots of friends who don't know Jesus. You should have tons of friends loving them, serving them, caring for them, sharing Jesus with them, showing Jesus to them. Friendship with the world is when you're seeking your heart's satisfaction in something other than God. Friendship with the world is when you're seeking your heart's satisfaction in something other than God. And when we do that, we make ourselves an enemy of God. It doesn't get more serious than that, does it? It doesn't. Now, why are we making ourselves enemies of God? Verse 5. Or do you suppose, James writes, 
It is to no purpose that the scripture says, He, God, yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Now, English Standard Version has a lower lowercase s for spirit, okay, which I think is right. The Greek is ambiguous. They had to make a call here. And I think that that's right. It's not talking about the Holy Spirit here. It's talking about your spirit, your feelings, your affection, your heart, your desires. And what James is telling us is that God yearns jealously. He's burning with jealousy for your spirit, for your heart, for your desires, for your affections, for, for who you are inside of you. He's, he's yearning jealously for that. Now you might think, well, it's not a very attractive picture of God yearning with jealousy for something. Well, our kind of jealousy is jealousy to get something. God's kind of jealousy is totally different. It's to give something. Look at verse 6. The very next verse, James wants to make sure we don't miss that. But he gives more grace. So God's yearning, burning jealousy is to give you grace, the grace of his nearness. All right, so, so picture God. One of God's highest, maybe God's highest passion. Think, think about a God-sized passion. Burning passion is to satisfy you with the grace of his nearness. He's burning to satisfy your heart fully, Overflowingly, and by the way, isn't this an amazing thing that God's highest passion is your greatest joy as well, right? Because your highest joy is being full of His presence. His highest joy is to fill you with His presence. God's highest joy, God's highest passion is, your, is to give you the highest joy. What an amazing universe, okay? But so His burning passion is to satisfy you with His nearness and His grace. So if, if here's God, and with a God-sized burning passion, he wants to satisfy you with his presence. He's like moving in this direction. And if you're here, and you say no, and you seek your satisfaction in something else, you have just opposed God's highest passion. And if you oppose someone's highest passion, what does that make you towards him? His enemy. You're going Head to head with God. You think all I was doing was getting impatient with my wife about going to the beach. But see, James wants to probe down and show you do you see how serious that is? The root of that is that you've turned your back on God as your all satisfying treasure, and you are seeking leaving for the beach on time as your all satisfying treasure. I mean, how stupid is that? Isn't it? It's utterly ridiculous. And it's tragic. And it's deadly serious. So here's what James is doing. Verses 1 through 6, he wants us to feel if, if I'm involved in a fight or a quarrel with someone, there's something seriously amiss with my heart. And he, he just kind of, it's like a surgeon, he kind of cuts down through and shows you the heart. What's the cause of every quarrel and trial? Frustration over unfulfilled desires. Why am I frustrated over unfulfilled desires? Because I've lacked God-centered prayer. Why do I lack God-centered prayer? It's because I've turned my back on God. And I'm, and I'm seeking my desire, my heart satisfaction in something else besides God. I'm a spiritual adulterer. My heart's in trouble. And unless something changes, I'm an enemy of God and he's, he's going to be opposing me. Verse 6, God opposes the proud, 
who don't seek him, but gives grace to the humble who do. Okay, so what can we do? Some of you are in this place right now. Others of you were this last week, or will be this coming week. What can we do? Okay, let me just take, take the example of the husband waiting for his wife at the beach and just kind of walk you through what I would encourage you to do. Make, you know, if that, this doesn't apply to you, make the necessary adjustments. But So here you are, you're, you're driving to Santa Cruz and you're, you're picking at her and you're criticizing her and you're bringing up stuff from the past and you're humming and humphing and silent treatmenting and the whole thing, okay, right? It's just this battle going on. Because you, you know, it depends on how you do it with your personality. Some of you are more outer, some of you are more inner. Anyway, this fight's going on on the way over to, on the, way over to the beach. Why are you fighting or quarreling? It's not because of what she did. It's because you are frustrated over your unfulfilled desires. That's why. And why are you frustrated over your unfulfilled desires? It's because you did not take those desires to God in prayer. God, help me now. Give me patience. Satisfy me now. Why am I so frustrated about this? Help me. You didn't do that. You just sat there and fumed. Or you said, God, change her. Get her at her quick or whatever. And then why did you lack God-centered prayer? It's because your heart is seeking satisfaction in something other than than God. Okay? So what should you do? Verses 7 through 10. Here's what James tells us. He says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. I just kind of took these and, and, and boiled them down into three steps. First of all, submit to God. And, and I think most of what that means is agree with God's diagnosis. Agree with God. So you just start by saying, God, forgive me. Through Jesus, forgive me. My heart has not been centered on you. I mean, I've been seeking my joy now in leaving quicker. When I could have been setting my heart upon you and enjoying you and delighting in you. I could have been doing that. Lord, I'm, I'm committing spiritual adultery. I'm an adulterer right now. I agree with your indictment of me. I agree. There's no excuses. My heart is laid bare. Help me. And so humble yourself before the Lord. And James, again, uses very strong language here. Be wretched and mourn and weep. See it for what it is. See it. Don't whitewash it. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't make excuses for it. Let James lay your heart bare here and just say, I am sorry. And I was driving somewhere a couple nights ago. I've been praying that God would help me see uh, His mercy more clearly. And one of the ways to see His mercy more clearly is to see your sin more clearly. Right? He who has been forgiven much, loves much, Luke 7. I was driving somewhere and just praying, and the Lord, He He showed me a glimpse of some of my past sin that I had never seen it as clearly as that before. And it, it wasn't fun. Okay, well, I mean, let me, there's some fine print there. The result was I saw the cross more sweetly and more dearly. So the, see, when James says, be wretched and mourn and weep, he doesn't want you to stay 
wretched and mourning and weeping. But to see the cross, you got to see your sin, right? The good news is only as good as you've seen the bad news as bad. So first, submit to God. Then second, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, here's what I think that means mostly. When you're in the car and you're frustrated that your wife is late, or whatever quarrel or conflict you're in, your heart feels like it's never going to change. I mean, you are angry. Right? You are impatient. You are frustrated. And when you're feeling angry and impatient and frustrated, it's like, this heart's not going to change. I might get more angry and frustrated and impatient, but it's not going to get less. Okay? And see, the reason that you feel like you can't change is because the devil has got his hold on you. Which is why... James brings in the whole idea of the devil. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Why is he talking about the devil? It's because as you're in bondage to impatience and anger and temper and frustration, that's the devil's hold on you. Now the good news is because of Jesus' death on the cross, he broke Satan's power. He broke Satan's power. So if you'll resist the devil... If you'll say, Jesus, by your power, your death and resurrection, which broke Satan's power, free me. Help me. Set my heart free. I'm enslaved now to anger. I'm enslaved now to rage. I'm enslaved now to impatience. Free me. And as you turn your heart and put it upon Jesus, that's resisting the devil, the devil will flee. He'll flee. He won't just let go. He will run away because you're looking to Jesus. A look to Jesus by faith is all you need. Power comes, Satan's grip releases, and he flees. It's not your power, it's just you're looking to the one who has the power with faith, Jesus. And third, draw near to God. He will draw near to you. So pray something like this. Father, I'm dying to leave for the beach. I'm frustrated about my wife taking so long. Again, maybe I should go in and help her. Okay, but all right. Um, Change my heart, please. Forgive me for thinking that that's going to satisfy me, that that's such a big deal. You're the big deal. Show me your love afresh. Show me your goodness afresh. Help me see your sovereign, wise control over the timing of everything, including what time we leave for the beach. Come, bring your nearness. Fill me up. Satisfy me, Lord, I pray. And as you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. And you'll be satisfied. And then you'll have love in your heart to go help your wife or to be happy with whenever she comes out and is ready to go. Okay? Now, what, what, what questions does this all raise? This is an amazing passage. I just, I just love this text. This is incredible. You've heard me preach on this text numerous times uh, if you've been around for a while. So what questions does that stir up in your mind? What, does that make sense? Is this what James is saying? Okay? All right, I think we got it. Let's do some praying then. Dave, aren't you coming up? Never again look at a quarrel or a fight the same way. Never again. Lord, help us never again to see them the same way. This is an amazing, amazing passage, Lord. 
So I pray for your power to come right now. In fact, let's just do this. If, I'm sure that all of us could, could do a little exercise at some level. Think about somebody that you're in a, in a quarrel or a fight with right now. At some level, some degree. And ask the Holy Spirit to show you what, what's the frustration. What unfulfilled desire am I so frustrated about? And just be really honest. Maybe even like write it down right now. Well, I, 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 want them, I want to be their friend and they're kind of shining me. Or I, I want my kids to be obedient and I'm angry at them right now. Or I want a good reputation at work and this person's talking behind my back. And, you know, these are valid desires. It's not that the desires aren't valid. It's that to, to seek your satisfaction in those desires being fulfilled is, is idolatry. It's making those desires your God. It's spiritual adultery. So just ask the Holy Spirit to show you what's the unfulfilled desire that you're so frustrated about. And then... Let the Holy Spirit probe deeper and show you the reason you're frustrated is because you, you haven't been seeking me in prayer. And, and, and that's the truth, right? If you're frustrated over that unfulfilled desire, you haven't been seeking God in prayer. That's, that's just the truth. Because if you had been seeking Him in prayer, if you had been drawing near to God, He would have been drawing near to you with the grace of His nearness. And your heart would have been comforted, strengthened, Filled, satisfied. So that you haven't been pursuing God-centered prayer, which shows us something frightening about our hearts. It's that we have been spiritual adulterers. We've been turning our backs on God, seeking our satisfaction in other things besides Him. So just, just let that bring you to repentance, Agree with God's diagnosis right now. Just agree with Him. See it, feel it, mourn over it, weep over it. Repent before Him because of it. Ask Him to forgive you. And He will, because of Jesus, He will forgive you. And then resist the devil. Just turn, look to Jesus. Trust Jesus' death and resurrection to loosen Satan's hold on your heart. Say, Jesus, set me free. Set me free from this anger. Set me free from this hurt. Set me free from this grudge. Set me free from this jealousy or impatience or whatever it might be. Resist the devil. He will flee from you because of Jesus' power. Look to Jesus, trust Him, ask Him to set you free, and then draw near to God. Right now, draw near to God. Say, Father, pour your love into my heart. I'm back, Father, I'm back. Only you can satisfy my heart. I see that again. So come and satisfy me. Fill me. Fill me, Lord. Psalm 73, 25 and 26 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? 
And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. That's the statement of a heart that has experienced God's nearness. Complete heart satisfaction in God through Jesus. So Lord, come and do that right now upon our hearts, I pray.